Welcome again to our Grafted Branches podcast. I'm Drew McKenna, and with me is my beautiful and wonderful wife, Deborah. Hello. As always, we are here to talk about and get to know Jesus in the cultural context he lived in. I know some of you may be wondering why that would be so important. Basically asking yourself this simple question, why do I need to know that? What difference will it make? While I can't answer for anyone else, for me, it's because I want to know what was meant when he said things like, my house should be called a house of prayer, or you shall find rest for your souls. On the surface, these teachings and sayings seem simple, but what if Jesus was pointing to something else? I want to know what that is. I agree with you. Of course, that's one of the reasons why we've been married so long. (laughs) I hope our listeners share the same passions to know him in a greater way. Uh, Our whole goal here is to pass on to you the tools we've learned over the years. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about what is probably the most important tool you can own. What is it? It's a common rabbinic teaching technique used by Jesus known as Ramez. Deborah, can you give us a short description of what Ramez means? Sure. I think the simplest description or definition of Hermes is a hint or clue about something which may not immediately be obvious. As a technique, a Hermes is given about the subject being taught and the hearer in first century Israel was expected to know what the hint or clue is referring to. It was a common technique used by the teachers in Jesus' day. Why would the rabbis uh, or teachers in Jesus' day use remez or a hint rather than just being out front and explaining what they expect their students to know? Well, I think the problem in understanding how or why a remez was used is because first century disciples in Israel had a very different path for learning about God and his truths. It's very different than the way Christianity and the knowledge of God's way are taught today. Why don't you give our listeners a quick description of this learning process? Okay, here goes. But if I miss something or you think uh, of something that needs more emphasis or clarification, please jump right in. I think the first thing we all forget is during the first century, the Hebrew Bible, or what we as Christians or as Christians call the Old Testament, was meticulously handwritten on scrolls and was not easily available to people. That meant if one was to know the words and the instructions of God, they had to have them memorized. There wasn't an app or a mini Bible to carry around for reference, so large portions were memorized starting at a very young age. It appears the intent of this Bible memorization wasn't to teach rules and laws to the children, It was to give them the ability to reference the words and ideas when they were needed as an adult for real-life application. You might say to give them a set of tools for life. I think it's important for us to understand, contrary to popular belief, when compared to the surrounding nations, the Jewish people of Israel in the first century were very literate, especially in the Galilee region. Teaching children God's instructions directly from the Hebrew Bible was one of the highest priorities of their communities. 
We could probably spend an entire podcast or two talking about the early teaching methods of the first century Israel. However, the subject of this podcast is a technique used by rabbis after the basics have been learned. It is known as a remez, which in Hebrew means a hint or clue. It goes like this. When a rabbi or teacher wants to bring a biblical text into a real-life situation, he would give a remez, a hint, to his listeners by quoting a word or a phrase from the Hebrew Bible. But the punch of that lesson was in the verses that surrounded the one quoted. Because the disciples and most of Jesus' listeners knew the text so well, they got it. They got what the rabbi was trying to teach them. Oh, in other words, they knew the entire context, or what we might say, the verses surrounding the verse quoted. Yes, these hints weren't long, drawn-out passages from the Bible. Rather, they were short or a contracted quote from a bigger section. It was up to the hearer to know what is written in the passage and to make the connection to the subject being taught or commented on. Let me give you a really simple example that many, if not most, Christians would understand. It might go like this. Oh, by the way, I hope our listeners understand the Bible did not have chapters or verse numbers in the first century, but the idea is the same. Okay, if I were to say John 3.16... I would bet that almost everybody could quote the underlying text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, why do we know that scripture so well? Because because we've heard it, read it, and memorized it. Correct. And that, by the way, was also one of the standard teaching techniques, oral repetition. But let me ask you and our listeners this. Do we know the rest of the story? What was the context of John 3.16? Who was Jesus talking to? And what else did he say? Oh, I'm not going to embarrass myself answering that question, but I get the point. While we know just one simple sentence from that hint, it is often forgotten there was so much more there. Yes, how true that is. I think most of us are guilty of relying on the ability to uh, open our Bibles, to cross-reference the hint, uh, in this case, chapter and verse, and begin reading. Do you see any problems or handicaps uh, for we modern followers of Jesus in that? Oh, I sure do, because we don't know our Bibles well enough to know the entire context of the scripture hinted at. We don't have the knowledge when we need it for real-life application and teaching. And if we do go ahead and cross-reference the verse in our Bibles, we usually don't read the surrounding verses or even the chapter in which the Ramez lies to see the fuller picture of what's being said. Therefore, we miss the intent of the Ramez. I think one of the things which amazes me in my personal studies is rabbis and Jewish scholars who have looked at the New Testament have stated that Jesus was a master at the use of Ramez. Ditto. Uh, When I learned about Ramez and how Jesus used it to teach practical life lessons from the Hebrew Bible, it was like seeing things new and fresh again. I'm almost at the point where I see these hints everywhere in my daily studies. 
But it's time for the rubber to hit the road and give us some examples of remez from Jesus' teaching. So I'll start first. Okay. As you said, for a hint or remez to work, the listeners have to have a good knowledge of the text being referred to. Oh, but sadly today, most Christians don't know their Bibles well enough to get the point of the remez. Yes, but it also must be remembered, Jesus was recognized as a rabbi by the people of his day. His disciples, a lawyer, a rich man, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the people in the crowd all called him rabbi. All of these people have one thing in common. Besides the fact they were Jews, they were raised in a system and a culture where memorization of the text was a central and extremely important part of the community. They knew the text really, really well. Now let's see if we can find some remezes or hints in one of the most famous moments and teachings of Jesus. When Jesus turned over the tables in the temple. Let's look at this account and see if in four simple verses we can find some hints and a much greater understanding of what was going on and what Jesus was alluding to. I'll read Luke 19, 45 through 48. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him, and they could not find anything that they might do. For all the people were hanging on every word he said. Before we start our hunt for Ramez, I think it's important to understand the context of the text. Okay, this particular text is happening during Passover, the most important defining date on the Hebrew calendar. It is when Israel remembers how God delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh and made them a nation. It's also a time when in Jerusalem, the temple courts become filled with both Jews and God-fearing Gentile people, all of who wanted to remember, celebrate, and worship God for their deliverance. One important thing to know about the Sadducees As Levites, they were charged with the maintenance of the temple and the validation or approval of a worshiper's sacrifice. Because of the massive number of people who came to Jerusalem for Passover and the need to have a non-blemished sacrifice, it became far easier for the Levites to just sell pre-approved items to the worshipers rather than going through a lengthy inspection process. It also freed the pilgrims who are traveling from all over the area, in fact, all over the parts of the world, it's very difficult to bring these animals with them and maintain them as they walk to Jerusalem. Knowing this, our first impression might be Jesus was angry because the Sadducees were taking advantage of worshipers and essentially ripping them off. Let me help our listeners understand who the Sadducees were. The Sadducees were the temple party. They ran the temple. They were the priests, chief priests, the high priests, and Levites. They were in charge of the temple. At this time, Rome had given them the authority, which gave them enormous power. The Sadducees were Hellenists and brought into 
the Greek bought, excuse me, bought into the Greek worldview. They combined Hellenistic lifestyles with serving God in the temple. The Pharisees reacted bitterly to this syncretism, this blending of beliefs, beliefs, and detested the Sadducees for their compromise. Jesus called them a den of thieves, and the text from Luke on the surface seems to point to that. But what if there's more? Maybe Jesus is teaching something greater here. Now, we need to remember that during Passover, there are a lot of people traveling great distances to Jerusalem. Acts indicates worshipers came all the way from Rome to stand in the temple courts to worship God. And how did they get there? They mostly walked, no buses, cruise ships, or airplanes. It was a really big deal for them when they arrived and stood at the very gates of the temple in Jerusalem. I also understand the Sanhedrin, which consisted of 65 Sadducees, five Pharisees, and the high priest, in an effort to make more room for the sale of approved sacrificial animals to worshipers, expanded them the buying and selling into the area of the temple courts designated for Gentiles. Why would they do such a thing? Maybe in seeing the Ramazer hint, we'll find the answer. Let's read the text again from Luke 19. Jesus entered, entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, And my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, scribes, and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him, and they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on every word he said. Remember, Hermes is normally a very short quote from the Hebrew Bible that points the listeners back to its source. Jesus is pretty straightforward here when he says, It is written. So what is the remez, the scripture he's hinting at? Well, I see there are two. The first one is, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's from Isaiah 56, 7. And the second is, you have made it a robber's den, from Jeremiah 7, 11. Let's look at the first remez from Isaiah 56, 7. Through Isaiah, God says, My house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. When we read the surrounding text, God is telling them to preserve justice and do righteousness. Foreigners will come to join themselves to the Lord to minister and love the name of the Lord. When hinting at this text, who is Jesus talking about as he drives out those who were selling? I see. His anger goes beyond the buying and the selling. Jesus is upset that they are getting in the way of Gentiles who come to worship God during Passover. And what had the leaders and Sadducees done? Well, history records that they had reduced the very area where they were allowed to worship by expanding the buying and selling into the Gentile court. Oh, think about it. Loud haggling over prices the sound of upset, fearful sheep, and the smell of the manure they create in the same area where you were trying to worship. And that leads us to the next part of the hint. Jesus says, But you have made it a robber's den. A robber's den? 
in the context of our Western civilization, that would make me think he's calling them thieves, and the temple has become a place where such hang out. I've heard some say by requiring the purchase of sacrificial animals and the changing of foreign monies to acceptable temple currency, the Sadducees were stealing from the pilgrims and getting rich. But that just doesn't seem like the complete story, does it? Hmm, no, it doesn't. In keeping with the idea that Jesus is using a remez or hint when he makes that claim, it begs to be asked, let's look at the surrounding scripture he's hinting at in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, and begin to see the big picture. Hmm. Has this house, which is called by, ni- by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. But go now to my place, which is in Shiloh, where I've made my name dwell at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Picture this. The courtyard of the Gentiles, because of the Passover, has become the overflow area for the Sadducees to sell approved sacrificial animals and items for the Jewish pilgrims' worship. What they have effectively done is block the Gentiles from the court designated for their worship of God. At this point, I want to let our listeners know a bit more about the court of the Gentiles. It was an area in the temple court where Gentiles, foreigners, and the ritually unclean could approach the temple. Its whole purpose was to allow all people to draw near to God's home. There was even a low wall built called the Sorek which even had an inscription warning people who were not Jews to go no further. It was a place for all people to get close to God's house. Deborah, by calling the place a den of thieves or robbers, Jesus is hinting at the Jeremiah text. What does it, the Jeremiah text, say about Shiloh? Through Jeremiah, God said, Now go to my place which was in Shiloh, where I made my name to dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people. What is the importance of Shiloh and what happened there? Hmm. What's really interesting here is that our second remez is getting bigger and bigger, that that thing you said about a bigger area. Uh, But to get a hint about Shiloh, we have to understand a little bit more about its Bible reference and narrative. And as we have talked about, the people... Uh, Jesus is giving this remez to our experts and immediately knew what he was talking about. Shiloh is first mentioned in Genesis 49.10, where Jacob is blessing Judah. He says this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. It was also a real city where the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were first kept. Uh, Eli was the priest at the time, and his adult sons assisted in the tabernacle. His sons were a corrupt, abusive, immoral man who took advantage of the people. They had decided to use the Ark as a symbol for battle, or as we might say, use it for a good luck charm, and then took it with them as they battled their enemy. The end result was Israel's enemy, the Philistines, captured the ark and eventually the city of Shiloh was destroyed and abandoned. The story is told in 1 Samuel chapters 3 and 4. 
Wow, from one simple remez or hint, Jesus has made a huge statement about what was being done in the temple and to those people who got in the way of the Gentiles' ability to worship God in the temple courts. I also... uh... I might also mention for our listeners that Shiloh is also considered as a reference for the Messiah. To this day, rabbis quote one of their most famous commentators, Rashi, because of the blessing Jacob gave Judah, Shiloh is a reference to the Messiah and his rule, not just a city location. That adds even more punch to Jesus from this. No wonder the text says this, but the chief priest and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him and the people were hanging on to every word he said they got it they not only heard they understood the remez now we can better understand why the sadducees were so angry and wanted to kill him wouldn't it be great if we knew our bible so well that we immediately Got it when Jesus uses Vermez as a tool to teach God's words. We've gone a little long today, so I think it's time to thank of all our listeners for sticking with us. Any last words about Vermez before we go? What I would like to do is challenge everyone to start reading the Gospels and look for possible, re- I wrote it down this way, Remezim, as in plural there, by the way, or hints then go find the reference and see the teaching behind it. Remember the one we just covered wasn't simply about calling the temple authorities a den of robbers for buying and selling. There is so much more there. Preventing others from coming near to God's house and quite possibly a hint about the Messiah. True. True. Let's challenge our listeners to find a remez. I love challenges. And this sounds like a great idea. What do you have in mind? A Remez challenge can be found on our articles page of our website. The website's name is graftedbranches.org. In the Remez challenge, you will, we will give you the clues needed to see if you can find a Remez in one of Jesus' teachings. You will be given instructions on how to see the remez in Jesus' teaching and find the scripture hinted at in your Bible. This will give you tools to better understand Jesus' teaching behind it. When you're finished, click on our contact page and share with us what you discovered. We'd love to hear from you. That's a great idea. So I really encourage that. Go to graftedbranches.org and look up the Remez Challenge. Well, it's time to leave. We appreciate everybody listening in, and I look forward to uh, them listening in again. But as always, I want to leave our listeners with this. Get to know him, what he taught, and then go live it. See you next time.